My name is Tabby Winters. You're listening to... No. No, that's stupid. This is stupid. This isn't... This isn't a segment or part of an episode. I'm not... God damn it. Hi. This is going to be informal and less produced. Gray, Ash, and Cam, they don't know I'm recording this. But after what I heard on that tape, I just want a little more of this documented. I need to get more of this down. Last night, after Cam showed me the tape, I didn't know what to think. I mean, I recorded it. I listened back to the tape dozens of times, and almost every time you can hear it clearly. Chris's voice. We haven't told anyone else. We don't want to freak them out, or, in Ash's case, excite them. Chris was Cam's brother. He passed... Chris died over the summer. It hit all of us really hard. I don't want to talk about him too much here. It feels wrong to use him for the documentary, but that's the quick version. I'm going to start recording more often. I want to get more of our day-to-day lived experience. I want there to be a record something real people can look back on just in case we in case we don't come back I'm still not convinced things are 100% supernaturally haunted here this could be some elaborate prank or maybe this town has something else something with a far more rational explanation going on there's more than enough evidence that the people here are weird I'm not saying that this is a town of serial killers, but no one will talk to us. Well, none of us except Ash, who, by the way, got a clerical job at the police department. It's totally fucked. I mean, Ash hates cops, and this town has such a corrupt system. But it does help us get closer to some information, and we really need the cash. We've been here a few weeks, and our cushion is running out. Well, is out. Gray and Cam are out doing research on our next story. They should be back any time now, and I don't want them to catch me recording this, so I'm going to end it here. I'll record more updates when I get some time alone, which is fucking hard to come by out here. God, we really need separate rooms, or any rooms at all. I think that's them. I'll check in again soon. There. Sorry. I forgot to press record. It's okay. We don't even need to record this anyway. Yeah, but I want to. Why? You really wanted to get us on tape talking about what we're going to have for lunch? Well, we were also talking about the case. We were mostly talking about lunch. We can do both. Tabby, you might want to let up on recording everything. Cam? Coming from you? This is surprising. I mean it. I don't want to use up too much tape. We're running out of money to begin with. 
I can call my parents and ask for more. No. Ash didn't get a job at the police department for no reason. We can fund ourselves. I still think it's a bad idea she got that job. Ash said the reason she wanted this gig was because it's easier to source information from the inside. Yeah, Ash only took the job because it helps us make this show. She's not actually doing police work either, so she's not actively working with them. She's just gathering intelligence. Besides, she's gotten really close to Captain Ryan, and it's good to have a police chief as a contact. Yeah, she's gotten really close. How does someone get to police chief that young anyway? She's not that young. She's 28, I think. That's pretty young for a police chief. I mean, I can guess how that happened. What's that, Cam? Everyone else in this town disappears. Why not the police? Do we know that happened? No. But you know we can't rule it out. True. Maybe we should have Ash look into that. Uh, maybe she should keep to passively gathering information. We don't want her to get in trouble. Are you worried about her? Yes, but I'm also worried about us getting into trouble. Gray has a point. Maybe we should just go back to focusing on our case. Yeah, let's do that. So, like I was saying, the house hasn't been... Can you start over, actually? Okay. There's a house on Hollyoke Drive that's been abandoned for about five years that seems to be eating people. Is that you editorializing, or has it really been leaving bite marks on people? No, that's me editorializing. That's a little unscientific of you, Gray. (sighs) Look, do you want me to play along or not? Yeah, Cam, shut it. Thank you, Gray. Do you have a list of the previous residents of the house? Yes, but it's not exhaustive. This list is sourced from newspaper articles about Hollyoak House written by... Let me guess. Evelyn Chambers? I was gonna guess. Yes, by her. Why does she write about every weird thing in town? Yeah. It's like she knows something we don't. Seriously. It's like we can find an endless list of things to write about just by following her articles. That's, uh... That's partially what Ash and I have been doing to get ideas for stories. Oh, so you're plagiarizing. No, Cam. They're doing their own research and fact-checking. Yeah, I would never plagiarize. Relax. It was just a joke. Anyway, after you read through those articles, Ash and I wrote a script for you. You can edit it however you want. Thank you, Gray. And I'm set to record whenever you're ready. Also... We got our hands on one more thing you might want to look over. What is it? Ash, uh, borrowed something from an old evidence locker in the police department building. So much for passively acquiring information. Shut up, Cam. You don't have to read the whole thing, Tabby. We marked the pages that are important. Just be careful with it. It's really old. Gray, this is amazing. I'll have to thank Ash for this later. Yeah, just make sure you give it back. Please, this has to be like 80 years old. They're not going to miss it. Still, I'd give it back. Don't want the cops to have a reason to come after us. Fine, whatever. And, uh, Tabby? Yeah? That diary is... 
make sure you read the marked pages before you start recording. It's important to know the full context for this piece. Okay. You make it sound so creepy. It is. Well, hell. Now I want to read it. You can after I'm done with it. I should be ready to record in a couple hours. I'm going to go to the library to read in quiet. I'll meet you back at the Econoline in a few. Sounds good to me. I'll be there. Home for Many is a safe space where you can relax and unwind, protected from the harsh realities of the outside world. There are few places that are supposed to be safer than your own home. This very nature of the home is what makes house haunting so uniquely disturbing. Half Moon has no shortage of unsettling occurrences, but one of particular note is a now-abandoned house on the edge of town on Holly Oak Drive. Known by some as the Holly Oak House, no one has lived here for almost five years. Built in 1926, this house at first glance looks no different from any other in Half Moon. After some cleaning and lawn maintenance, you would hardly pin it as the site of horrific and gruesome hauntings. The 1920s saw a period of expansion and development for Half Moon. For the first time, people were buying homes off the heels of the economic prosperity of the decade. The original owner of the home on Holly Oak Drive was James McEwen, one of the floor supervisors of the old mill during its last few years of operation. The house was new back then, the ideal American home, white picket fence and all. Fortunately for us, McEwen kept a diary that my team was able to borrow. His first day in the house was described as follows. I finally did it. I bought a home. Growing up poor, I never thought I'd be able to afford it, but that mill really was a stroke of luck like nothing else. I guess wishes really do come true. The house is perfect, everything I wished it'd be. Plenty of space for my dogs, an extra room for when I finally convinced Charlene to marry me and start a family, and a basement that's big enough for everything. The Holly Oak House seemed to be beyond McEwen's wildest expectations. Piece by piece, he decorated it and lovingly manicured his garden. It was all he wrote about in his journal. His fixation on the house was obsessive. Every entry from the day he moved in concerned some new detail he loved about his home. By 1927, though, a year after he bought the house, McEwen stopped leaving it. He was so obsessed with the house with painting and repainting, with caring for the lawn and tinkering with the plumbing and the wiring, he stopped going to work. He was fired in short order, a fact that he all but glosses over in his diary. The folks down at the mill say they don't want me anymore, he writes. It's all the same to me. The mill isn't my home. This is. This is my home. I love my home and my home loves me. I'm never going to leave. I never want to leave. And now I don't have to. This is my home. This is my home. McEwen eventually disappeared. 
His neighbors stopped seeing him outside in early spring of 1928. Shortly thereafter, one neighbor reported smelling a foul scent coming from the home and hearing odd noises from the basement. The police were called in to investigate. What they found was unsettling. Police found Mr. McEwen dead in the basement of his home late last night, a Chronicle article from the Times says of the discovery. The deceased was found slumped on his hands and knees, a wad of sanding paper in his hand. According to police at the scene, he had ripped up the carpet and was sanding one spot on the wood baseboards repeatedly. The skin on his hands had been stripped away, evidently by the excessive sanding, and blood covered the floor. James McEwen's body was removed from the home. A real estate agent from Full Moon Realty renovated the house, scrubbing away the horrible memory of what had occurred there, and sold it again four years later to a young couple, newlyweds named Ellis and Jane Waters. Their wedding announcement was printed in the Half Moon Chronicle in July 1932. The announcement states that they purchased the home to make room for a new member of the growing Waters family, who is allegedly already on the way. Ellis was a mill employee as well, a floor worker, and his wife, Jane, worked at the library. It's unclear if they knew of this home's tragic past or if they were aware of James McEwen, though it's likely. Ellis was employed at the mill shortly after returning from the war in 1918, which would place him as floor worker while McEwen was still a manager. The Waters family reportedly boarded up the basement and never entered that space. But history repeated itself as Jane and Ellis slowly began to get lost in caring for and renovating the house. Day and night, neighbors said they heard the sounds of cleaning and construction. The vacuum cleaner was running near constantly, one neighbor was quoted saying in an article in the Chronicle. Ellis was always outside trimming some hedge or repainting the house. He was so focused on his work, he wouldn't even look up to say hi when you passed. The same thing happened again in January 1933. The Waters family had recently welcomed a new child to the world, whose name was not included in the police report, nor any subsequent articles. Neighbors first noticed the absence of noise from the Waters residence. Then came the smell. Police were called in to investigate, and they found the basement door, which was previously boarded and sealed, ripped open. Jane and Ellis were collapsed on the floor, both with scrubbing brushes. They had ripped up the carpeting, newly installed after McEwen's death, and were thought to be scrubbing the floor when they died of dehydration. A disturbing detail from that particular report is that Ellis was supposedly the first one to pass away, but Jane carried on for another few hours. The police guessed that Jane had continued scrubbing to her last breath. When Ellis collapsed, Jane paid so little notice, she scrubbed over his body as if it wasn't even there, leaving his flesh torn and mangled from the hard bristles and vigorous cleaning. The Waters family's two children were found on death's door. Apparently, Jane and Ellis became so fixated on their home improvements 
that they neglected to feed or care for their children. The kids were sent to the hospital and eventually recovered. This pattern carried on time and time again. A new family would acquire this home cheaply, become obsessed with cleaning and renovating it, and then their bodies would be found in the basement. Starting in the 70s, reporting on these incidents was taken over exclusively by Evelyn Chambers, famed writer for The Chronicle, who seemed to specialize in writing on the more gruesome and mysterious tales of this town. She was the first to draw the connection between the deaths in writing. In 1984, she published an article titled The Horror of House Holly Oak that explicitly outlines the pattern in all of these deaths. Framing it as a local curiosity, she writes, Holly Oak House, as it is known among locals, is thought to be cursed. Often vacant, every last resident of this abode has died in the same way. A new homeowner is convinced to purchase this home. They spend a month or two in new homeowner bliss. And then, within two years, their obsession with cleaning and renovating the house takes over their life until their compulsions kill them. Clinical psychologists at Gracie Stevens Memorial Psychiatric Wing say these are all unfortunate cases of undiagnosed and untreated psychological illnesses, though none were too keen to diagnose the dead, who they never had the opportunity to speak to. Ms. Chambers seems unconvinced by these diagnoses. She goes on to say, ownership of the home seems to default to Full Moon Realty, a small agency that rivals the larger and more well-known Emerson and Bartlett's real estate. Full Moon Realty continues to market the home to unsuspecting new homeowners. A previous investigation found that, on several occasions, they failed to disclose the previous deaths in the home to prospective buyers, for which they have been heavily fined. Chambers concludes the article with a rather foreboding detail. Unless Full Moon Realty closes their doors and ceases operation, more innocent prospective homeowners will succumb to the strange happenings at Holly Oak House. But one more question remains. Nearly everyone on every street corner has heard the stories about Holly Oak House. How then do people keep getting suckered into buying this home year after year? The unscrupulous business dealings of the full moon agency alone cannot account for the sheer number of buyers who, without fail, purchase, clean, and then perish. Several inquiries to the mayor's office have been ignored, and no one at Full Moon Realty wished to comment. What mysterious underpinnings keep folks returning to this location time and time again? And when will this circle of obsession and death finally terminate? Only one thing is known for sure. Without immediate action, more innocent lives will be forfeit in this haunted home. Chambers, as always, turned out to be correct. Three more families eventually came to occupy and subsequently perish in this home. Since the publication of that article, Full Moon Realty has shuttered its doors. Public records indicate the business closed in 1994 without any warning. Holly Oak House has been unoccupied since this date and has fallen into a state of disrepair. 
The final detail of this story has regretfully remained unverified, as my team cannot get close enough to the house to investigate firsthand. Our research team has confirmed that the property is heavily monitored, and any attempt to break in is met with immediate police intervention. The only evidence we have to stake this final claim on comes from James McEwen's journal. McEwen was a diligent chronicler of his life. His journal is thick, filled with pages upon pages, covering his daily routine and his thoughts. Everything that was James McEwen seems to reside within these pages. Right up until his untimely death, he documented everything. His second-to-last entry details why he ventured into the basement and never left. I've cleaned every corner of this house. It's spotless. My long task is finally near its end. I have yet to enter the basement. Despite my initial enthusiasm, my real estate agent from Full Moon warned me quite sternly that I should never, under any circumstances, enter the basement. I've listened dutifully but my curiosity grows. I don't know how much longer I can live here and not investigate. What could they be hiding? Why mustn't I go into the basement? An uncharacteristic two-day gap appears in his journal. The last page is stained with blood and sawdust. It reads, I know what's in the basement. I know what they hid there. I had to tear out the carpet to find it, but I found it. And how I wish it never came to me. I feel like Lady Macbeth washing her hands of the blood. Nothing can remove it from my mind, not after seeing it. I have to destroy it. I have to take it away from this house. I can't live knowing the shapes that they've etched onto the floorboards. The shapes... They fill me with some emotion I cannot describe. I feel it clawing at my mind. It takes every ounce of strength I have left to write these words. I must return. I must go back to my work. I fear my work will never end. And I fear when next I descend those long and unforgiving steps into the dark... I will not be returning. I hope if anyone reads this, they will heed the warning of full moon. Do not go into the basement. Do not go. It will never let you leave. God save me. So, what did you want to talk about? Did you read that journal you swiped for Gray? Shh. Keep it down, all right? We're literally steps from the police department. Who knows if any cops are within earshot? Wow, you're really paranoid about cops. Of course I am. What did you want to talk about anyway? The journal. You did read it, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I read pretty much the whole thing. It was super slow yesterday at the station. What did you think? It was boring. No, I mean, what did you think of the end? Oh, that part. It was so cool. 
you think it was cool? Yeah, totally. Do you think it was the same thing in the basement making everyone lose their minds? Maybe. What do you think it was? Like, in the basement? Yeah, what do you think was on the floor? Beneath the carpet? It could be anything. Glyphs? A cryptic message? Mm, probably just glyphs, now that I think about it. Do you think they could do something like that to a person's mind? Probably. They can do a lot of weird stuff, if you know how to use them. It can depend on the placement, what they're made out of, stuff like that. Do you know how to use them? <laughs> Gods know. I've never tried to do anything like that. Are you sure? You seem to know a lot about them. What? Are you saying I'm lying to you? Uh, no. You just have very specific knowledge about this kind of stuff. And you're really into the supernatural. Why do you think I'm lying? What? I don't. Look, I'm not accusing you of anything. Sure sounds like an accusation to me. Ash, I'm sorry. We can just drop it if it's making you this uncomfortable. Yeah, let's drop it. I'm going back to the Econoline. Ash almost never gets mad. What was that about? Half Moon Chronicles is a Bad Address Media production. This episode was directed by Jack Bacall and produced by Isabella Van Ingen. The script was written by Kit Haddad and edited by Morgan York. Sound design is by Matt Regan. Featuring Isabella Van Ingen as Ash Moskowitz, Jack Bacall as Cameron Park, Kit Haddad as Grayson Price, and Morgan York as Tabby Winters. You can follow us on Twitter at Bad Address Media or donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash badaddressmedia. Thanks for listening.